Hi, my name is Sherry Doherty, and I'm a lady in red. In act two of my career and living my best life, my perspective on life and behaviors have been governed by who I was as a child, who I became, and who I am still striving to be. People my age are beautiful, bold, confident, and full of wisdom. And truly, the encore of the story of your life is still when the best songs are yet to be sung. My mission in this podcast is to shine the spotlight on people like me, have real conversations about reinvention stories, and inspire you to continue to follow your dreams regardless of your age. I'm doing it for Daisy. Who are you doing it for? Good day and welcome to today's episode of the Encore Podcast. Today I am delighted to have with me my friend and colleague and peer that I often collaborate with, Mr. Carl Richards. He is the CEO of Podcast Solutions Made Simple. Welcome to the show, Carl. Sherry, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to dive into our conversation today. I am as well. I really enjoy the conversations, to be honest, where I don't know the full story because I'm listening as intently as our listeners are, and I don't know your full story. I think I know lots about you, and I know you today, but I don't know young Carl, and I don't know the twists and turns that your life has taken, so I am very intrigued to hear your story. If you will, can you share with us who Carl is? So what was your childhood like? Where were you born and raised? Any highs or lows that you're willing to share? Just tell us a bit about your backstory. Sure, absolutely. And I guess I'm glad I haven't shared this with you already because then you could answer all the questions for me or confirm or deny what what I'm sharing. So, yeah, sure. I hail from Hamilton, Ontario, which was home for... 25 years of my life, and childhood was interesting. My mother remarried when I was four, so I actually had two dads. I had my biological father and then my stepfather. The person I call my dad is actually my stepfather because my biological father, though I knew him, he would come around at Christmas and give, you know, money and a card and things like that. My mother had full custody of us, and these are things I find out later, of course, as an adult. My mother had full custody, and once she met my stepfather, my biological father sort of backed off, realizing that she's met another man, they're in good hands, and now he's also now with another woman, and it was just an opportunity for the two of them to part ways, but still realize that, okay, I do have biological children, and you know, see them from time to time. So I never really had a relationship with my dad. If there's one thing I wish I did have, it was a relationship with my father. But I never knew him other than dad on a card, birthday and Christmas. That's all I really know of my dad. When I was a kid, I stuttered. Interesting. That was a very traumatic thing. It's a story that I tell when I'm, I actually tell it on one of my podcast episodes, but it's a story I tell when I'm speaking When I've done speaker training, it's something that I will share with people if they're anxious speakers or have stage fright. It's one of the things that I will share and explain how I walked through that. But it was so bad that that I couldn't get three words out or four words out without stammering. So my parents would say, you know, Carl, stop and start again. And they really were trying to help me, but they didn't know what they were doing. They weren't speech therapists. They were just going by what, you know, the doctor had said to try and do. So it eventually led to me stopping speaking altogether, except for those moments where, and I, Sherry, I know you can remember those moments in school where the teacher would say, okay, Sherry, it's time for you to stand up now and read, you know, a paragraph or whatever in front of the class. And for the average person, that's terrifying. For me, it was like a horror story because, you know, you're reading something out loud, you're stuttering in front of all of your classmates and your friends, and kids, God love them, but they laugh at 
Oh, they're mean. Everything that sounds funny. Kids. They're some of the meanest people on the planet. For and sure. I, <laughs> kids are mean. They're cute, and I love my nieces and nephews and stuff, but certainly when you're in that place. So it was very traumatic for me, and it wasn't until I was about 12 years old that my parents said, you know what? We're not the experts here. We're going to put him in speech therapy. So I went into speech therapy for two years, and that's where I learned that I didn't overcome stuttering, but I learned how to manage my speaking. And I learned that the only person in control of your speech or your speaking is you. And that was a very valuable tool that I learned. But leading up to that, though, it was very traumatic. I was a very anxious kid always, of course. I'm sure that's transferred into adulthood with you know anxiety in, in some ways. But once I realized that, hey, I could be in control of my speaking, things started to change. I developed a love for theater and acting and radio. And I right. never did acting because for every actor that makes it, there's 10,000 saying, would you like fries with that? Right. But I did really enjoy communication. I didn't realize how much I would enjoy communication. So that ended up becoming my life. But growing up was definitely very interesting because of the stuttering, but then also living in Hamilton. My dad worked in a factory okay. around loud machinery all the time. Mm -hmm. So he had a very loud talking voice. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't realize he was talking that loud. So that could be very anxious too or very intimidating for a kid who already stutters right. when you hear those loud, booming voices. So that was sort of the growing up thing. I had a great childhood. You know, we went on vacation every summer. We actually vacationed in Prince Edward County in Wellington. So I knew this area right. before I even moved to it. We would go to Fort Henry. At that time, it was called Old Fort Henry. I do remember that. We would go there usually every other year for vacation or not to the fort for vacation. <laughs> be a vacation for the parents, right, if they right. put you in the barracks or whatever. But that would be part of the vacation. Every other year from that, we would go usually to Upper Canada Village. One year, we went up to Ottawa. So there were a lot of opportunities from that. We never traveled overseas, never did any larger vacations to Disney World or anything like that, but always had that, you know, cottaging experience on the water. And it's something that I still love today oh, is to yeah. be on the water. So, yeah. That's great. Okay. So what about your building years? Did you go to university, start a career, fall in love, have kids, any of those kind of things, get divorced, all those things happen to people. And, you know, I know you had a twisty turny career as well, which was very successful. So we'll mm. get there. But what were the building years like? I did some of those things. Absolutely. <laughs> did I go to school? Yes. I actually went to college. I went to Mohawk College in Hamilton and studied radio. Once I realized that acting wasn't going to be in the cards for me, I said, hey, well, my second love, which became my first love, is broadcasting and you know I listened to radio back in the 70s and 80s when there was a lot of theater of the mind and you know DJs would have these characters that they yeah. would bring to the show always it wasn't just information out to the audience it was fun it was inviting all the time and it was exciting to listen to radio back then where the product it was very different it was very different that personality type of radio which doesn't exist in the same way but I graduated top of my class and I spent the next three years after that looking for that first elusive radio gig. It was a time when, in the 90s, a lot of stations were moving from total analog, where you needed a live body in studio all the time, to partial automation. So it was the early inception of not so much computers, but you, know, you were starting to get into systems that would allow, for example, an overnight show 
to just run on its own. Right. Computers came in late 90s, in and around that time for most stations. And that really made it challenging to get that first job. But landing that first job in Kenora, Ontario. Oh, boy. Okay. Northwestern Ontario, not the end of the world, but it's close, especially for a boy that grew up in Hamilton. Mm -hmm. It was definitely a culture shock because I moved from living in a city that's next to a city that's next to a city that's however many million people it was back then in that general area to town it's now a city but at the time the town was 10,000 people right and its closest town or larger town would have been two hours away and then that's heading east and if you go to Thunder Bay that's six hours away and if you go west it's two and a half hours away to Winnipeg so you're in the middle of you know, you're in a community, (laughs) but you're literally in the middle of nowhere on the Lake of the Woods. I learned a lot. I met a lot of great people while I was there. Yeah, it was a phenomenal journey, but I couldn't wait to get back to Southern Ontario. So career-wise, I did Kenora, Fort Francis, which was my first trip south, which is two and a half hours south of Kenora, still in Northwestern Ontario, but there was a promotion within the company that had another station in that market. Kenora, Fort Francis, then down to Welland. Okay. Which was closer to home. Well, a little close, a Mm -hmm. lot closer to home, actually. But it was really exciting because the station I worked at in Welland, they were a country station and they had a 50,000 watt signal, which would boom right across that little pond called Lake Ontario. Right. So we had something like 30,000 listeners in downtown Toronto. We didn't access them very well, but we still had that listenership. And then from there, it was a stop over to Cornwall, all to excel or move up the ladder right. in my career, right? Right, building your career. And then landed in Kingston, and I spent almost 20 years doing radio in Kingston and loved That's loved where every I first heard your voice was on the radio. My dulcet tones, <laughs> so to speak. But yeah, a very interesting career. And just the development years with that was... I didn't get married because I was working my career so much. Okay. Dated, but nothing serious. You know, when you're living in a community for maybe a few years, that's where relationships can be very rocky. As a matter of fact, a lot of broadcasters go through divorce a few times, once or twice for sure, because at some point their spouse becomes a little bit jaded by the process of, okay, we're living here this year, and then in two years we're in another community. It's almost like the whole military family. Very, very similar in Mm -hmm. that process, especially back then. Now it's a little bit different. Still, there's a lot of movement around for individuals that really want to stay in it. And I had no intentions of settling down right away anyway. You know, I really was interested in building my career, aspirations of getting back to the Toronto, Hamilton area, and I'm still in this area because I love it. Right. (laughs) But then also that's when I did actually, you know, meet someone and did get married in the 2000, what year was it? 2009 is when I got married. So like a lot of people in their 20s, It was still in their 20s. Now that whole marriage thing has changed for a lot of people. It's now people are getting married later. But when I was in my 20s, a lot of people I knew were getting married. Mm -hmm. Now it's shifted a little bit. So for me to get married in my mid-30s, I was getting older in the getting married phase, right? (laughs) You know, and that's what kept me here is, other than the fact that I love the area, and it's such a great area because you're between... Montreal and Toronto and Ottawa and New York City's not far. Oh, you're preaching to the choir, I know. <laughs> so that should be on my says, billboard why you should live in Kingston. <laughs> so for anyone that says, you know, I'd love to live in a big city like Toronto, I'm like, yeah, it might be good for a couple of years. Yeah. But really, when you're close to everything else, it's only a two-hour drive or two-and-a-half-hour drive. The furthest is New York City. Right. But that's like a mega hub. And it's worth it. In the world, right? right? So who doesn't want to at some point in their life, visit to either go to shopping or theater or go to Central Park, go to, I'm trying to remember the 
address where I was a big fan of John Lennon. So, of course, he was shot in New York City outside his apartment. So one of the places I wanted to go when we were visiting for the first time was to that corner where Mm -hmm. that complex is. It's still there. But that's, again, you don't get that if you're, you know, you think twice about it if you're in Toronto or London or west coast of Canada because it's too far away. Right. Right? This is the perfect location. However, we digress. Yeah. Okay, no kids. So you... No kids, by the way. Okay. Nieces and nephews that I spoil to death. That's great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So super successful career. Mm-hmm. You're trucking along. Things are good. And you're probably approaching the midpoint. Yep. I'm not certain, but I know you also had a change. I did. And so what happened? I did. The first change to happen actually in 2010. And that's when I was working at a station in Kingston and they were doing a format change. And what tends to happen in that situation is there's usually a changing of the guard. They'll say, well, we're making some corporate changes or changes to formatting. And so you're no longer needed. Right. So that happened in 2010, the first time. And I never saw myself getting back into broadcasting. I didn't see it on my radar, but there were some opportunities that presented themselves and I did get back in. Okay. But at the same time as I'm getting back into radio part-time, I had started a part-time business as well, doing speaker training and helping people with presentation skills and voice and platform skills. So I worked that business part-time while also now redeveloping my broadcasting career. And as I said, there were some great opportunities that second time round in broadcasting. They say you haven't really worked in radio until you've been fired from at least one job. Oh, okay. So I felt that I'd made it. You know, <laughs> I've been fired from at least one job. I'm good to go. Exactly. I'm authentic <laughs> <Right>? now. <clears throat> the goal was always to take my speaking business full time. Right. But when somebody comes along and says, we've got all these great opportunities for you in programming or music direct, and eventually became the morning show co-host at a local station in Kingston, it's kind of hard to say no to, right? right? Mm-hmm. Especially when that's a guarantee, that's the safety net, it's a good cushion. Yep. So you don't need to do the whole build my business, take risks. And I still ran the business part-time. It was great. You know, some extra money to go on vacations and stuff like that. And then, you've probably heard this before, COVID hit. I heard something <laughs> about that, yes. <laughs> and that's when, you know, every industry except for maybe industries that created PPE, were turned upside down, including broadcasting. You know, advertising revenue across the board was down 70% because a lot of local stations rely on local advertisers, yeah. and they're shuttered. They're completely shut down. And I knew it was just a matter of time before I would be shown the door, and I'm glad I was shown the door because that allowed me the opportunity to take my business, which at that point was speaker training only, pivot the business and then position it to where it is now, not just speaker training. That still does exist, but what I'm focusing on now is promoting, helping people get not only their own podcasts up and running, but also maintaining them so they can stay in their zone of genius in business while we help them be seen as the go-to expert. But that didn't exist the early part of 2020. It was just an idea. And then when I was you know, given the opportunity to leave, that's when I said, you know what, now's the time to do it. Now's the right. time to pivot, go full time. And I have to say, it's not easy mm-hmm. <laughs> to make that decision. It's not easy to say, I'm going to be in business for myself. A lot of people look at you like you're crazy Yep. because they'll think that, okay, well, what about the security of having a job where you know every month what your pay is going to be, all of those things. And I'm assuming it's very similar in real estate oh, where sure. you have your ups and downs oh. and you plan as best as you can, but... You never know when the oh, bottom's going to fall out of it. There's moments of a blank whiteboard 
which should be your pending and closing deals. And you're like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> there's no paychecks on that board. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you Hope go, I did a little rainy day planning. <laughs> yeah. And that's sort of the way it is. I think in a lot of businesses, especially when you're starting is you can only plan so far ahead. Right. And once things are going, once the machine is rolling and everything's running smoothly, then that's where you can, you know, plan for the rainy day, put mm-hmm. stuff aside, focus on profit, and also focusing on getting more clients to the fold. And podcasting being so popular right now, there are some people who are checking us out and saying, yeah, I want to take a look at this and see if it's a fit for my brand or my business. And we position ourselves as being competitive. We're not low end, but we're also not high, high, high end either. So we're not the type of agency, for example, that's going to be doing the Oprah Winfrey podcasts, but we're also not the type for entry level business owners wanting to have a podcast. So we're somewhere in the middle. And that is really good because now we can pick and choose the clients who we want to work with. But as I said, if we had this discussion three years ago, I would say, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just doing, but it's been an amazing journey. That's good. I love that the little boy who stuttered is a speaking expert and teaches and coaches, encourages other people to speak. That's beautiful. And I love that you're doing something that, you know, gives you the freedom Mm -hmm. and the confidence to move about and build what you want to build. And that there isn't as much as I also miss a stable paycheck and benefits and a couple of vacation weeks and all those nice cushy things that come with a corporate job. This is much more exhilarating and much more rewarding. Yes. And the one thing that I think about a lot is there's a direct return on your effort when you're self-employed. So when I was working in the corporate world and I gave my job 120%, I still made the same money. And then if there was a month where I gave it 80%, I still made the same money. And I'm never particularly incentivized by money to work any harder because I loved what I did and the people I did it for. But now if I have a month where I give it 120%, I usually see the fruits of that additional Mm. effort three months later. And in self-employment, the sky's the limit. There's no salary cap. There's nobody saying, oh, good girl, you're going to get 3% this year. You know, it's what I want and I can dream it to be, which is amazing. I would digress a little bit and share with you one of our podcast stories. So 10 years ago, maybe, maybe eight years ago, our son was talking about podcasts nonstop. Mm -hmm. Literally, that was all he was talking about. We would say, oh my God, please stop talking about podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) I'm dead serious. And we'd be like, why is he talking about these podcast things so much? So it's so funny that here we sit today that I have a podcast and you have a podcast and that you are helping and coaching and mentoring people in what I thought was ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. And clearly I need to be listening to whatever my son is now talking about being five years down the pipeline as being the thing in the communication vehicle. I wonder if you have any intuition or gut for where you're going or where podcasts are evolving to in the future. Yeah, and first off, I should mention that I really like your producer. I like him as well. He's my producer <laughs> as well. And I think he's that guy you mentioned earlier that was telling you about podcasts. Yeah. Uh, your son. Yeah. He's a very talented young man, and I'm certainly blessed to have him on our team. But I think where podcasts are going as more and more people come into this universe. I call it the podcast universe okay. because it feels that way yeah, because podcast world for sure. They're global now, but there's nothing saying that if we eventually have you know, vacations to the moon or Mars or whatever, that what we have here won't evolve out there. So that's one of the reasons why I call it the podcast universe. But I think what we're seeing is 
couple of things. Number one is the quality of what you're putting out there. Not you personally, but, no, but what everyone is people, putting out there. Yeah. People want that. People want that quality. People will turn off a bad podcast that doesn't have the conversational value or the interest level or even the audio or video is bad. People are critical. We say we're not, but we really are. Because I know people who listen to podcasts and they'll say, I will not listen to that show because of the X, Y, and Z. It could be the audio. It could be there's dead space, whatever it is. So that is one thing that is continuously, I think, going to level up. I think AI will play a role, but I don't think AI will replace certain aspects of the podcast industry because I think that AI is still, number one, it's still very new. And when, when AI takes over, it's kind of like the movie iRobot. When the robots take over, we're done. So if AI completely takes over or, you know, eliminates agencies like mine, that's a bad thing, <laughs> I guess. But I really I think what I'm trying to say is AI, I don't think, is intelligent enough to be able to feel what a human feels and the way I approach podcasting, be it audio or video, is there's a certain feel to it. There's a certain vibe to it. And when I work with, for example, my producer, who obviously I've admitted is your son, when I work with him, we talk about, do we need to leave those three ums and ahs in or can they be taken out? And I know that sounds very like we're separating fly poop from pepper kind of thing, but that's the feel that you don't get from AI. AI just right. eliminates. Robotic. Cleans right? it up. Yep. But it doesn't have that same feel. It's just like, you know, automation has allowed the auto industry to expand rapidly over the last, whatever it is, 100 years. But you know what? There are still some companies that will manufacture their vehicles or aspects of their vehicles manually. They still build them manually, right? We're talking high-end cars, not the ones that you just go and purchase off the street kind of thing. So that's one of the areas or a couple of the areas where I think that podcasting is going. I also think that we're going to see more people in the podcasting space because this is where that know, like, and trust factor exists. Right. It's sort of like if you go back 30 years, if you were on the speaking circuit, you needed a book. And to some degree, people still write books, publish books. Yep. And they still use that as a, hey, I'm an expert and here's the book I've written. Right. But now, for the younger generations, Gen Zs, Gen Ys, they're already looking for you online. They're looking for that social proof, that know, like, and trust factor. They're yeah. looking to see that you're the real deal online. And a podcast is going to continuously challenge us to be seen as that expert. So I think that we'll see more people adopting podcasts as part of their marketing plan because it'll be a, almost a case of if they don't have a podcast, it'll almost feel like they're not in business. Right. Much like websites were. Well, in my industry, as much as there's pros and cons to social media, if somebody said to you, oh, you should check out Sherry the Realtor, you're going to look me up on Instagram or look yep. me up on Facebook as the first easy go-to thing to do. Yep. And if I'm not there, I don't exist. Yep. And that's just a fact. Also, if people have to dig any deeper, they're not going to do it. it. <laughs> and almost a website is a little old school. Like yeah. I have a website. It's lovely. Do I have a ton of traffic on it? No, but it's lovely and it's there for the people who choose that medium. But definitely my socials get much more engagement. And this podcast isn't about my business in that way per se, but it is a little bit of know, mm. like, and trust because now people know me apart from Sherry the Realtor yep, and know my name and know that there's more to me and my backstory and things like that. And I like when you were talking about the know, like, and trust because you have to be authentic and I don't want to be perfect. And I know sometimes when I make even a social media video, I stutter or I bumble or I roll my eyes or I do something silly. I leave it 
because being too curated and too perfect makes you not relatable. And I would share with you, and I'm curious about this from your podcast perspective. I do every so often a solo episode. Mm-hmm. One of the one I got the greatest feedback on was one where I was being pretty transparent and saying I was feeling blue. And anybody who knows me knows that I'm generally upbeat, positive, happy, enthusiastic, a good energy to be around. That's my goal. And that's what I'm trying to put into this world. But there was a period where I was just feeling a little off. And so I decided that I was going to share it. And I had so many people reach out to me and say, oh my God, Sherry, I feel that way every day. You're not alone, sister. Just push through. This is normal part of, I don't know, life, aging, family, cycle stuff, you know? And it really did hit. And what I took from that is I need to be more honest because Mm -hmm. I think particularly in our generation, everything was private and proud. And we didn't admit that we had problems. They were behind closed doors in our household and we didn't talk about it. And then, you know, the new generation wants to know we're all not okay together. And so being a little bit more vulnerable and admitting, you know, yep, there's sometimes even happy Sherry is blue or feels off or whatnot Mm -hmm. was Mm -hmm. really good. If you were talking to someone who today was thinking about starting a podcast, what is the biggest piece of advice you would give them? I would say, honestly, thinking about starting a podcast, number one is think about what the show is going to be about. Right. Right. I think a lot of us get into this space or as we approach the podcasting space, we go, okay, I'm going to have a podcast. But we, we really don't think through before we do. And I think that's why there's so many podcasts out there that are in what we call podgatory. About 40% of them. I like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's true. It's about 40% of them have basically been abandoned. And in some cases, there's no fresh content for the last 20 years because they've been produced by people that have said, okay, I'm going to do a podcast. And they do a couple of episodes and go, oh, this is too much like work. Mm -hmm. And there's no plan. I'm just, you know, verbal diarrhea into a microphone and hoping it sticks. And that's not where podcasting is going. Again, as you move towards the know, like, and trust factor, especially because so many business owners are leveraging this as marketing, Mm -hmm. as having prospects kind of their business, even getting clients to join workshops or programs or tap into services. So you really need to go in having an idea of, number one, what's the podcast going to be about? What's the goal of the show? And then what are the results that you want to get from it? While understanding as well that podcasting is not a short game. Right. It's a long game. Right. It's almost like the analogy of, okay, I want to lose 30 pounds because COVID was very generous to my midsection. (laughs) (laughs) So if I just eat one salad or maybe two salads, that will be enough, right? Right. Of course not. You need to be consistent with your content. You need to, you know, always be challenging yourself as well to push the boundary, have a list of, I call it my chicken list, my chicken list of people I want to have on my show. Oh, I have one. Right? I have a big one. Right? And it's in some cases, it's people who you know mm-hmm. that you're just afraid to ask on. In other cases, it's people who are you know, like the Grant Cardonis of the world who are so far off your reach right now. Right. But what if you could get a guy like that? Yeah. Or a Tony Robbins or a Jack Canfield or somebody of that profile on your show? How would that feel and what would that do to your show? Oh, right? it gives me shivers. Gives you goosebumps. I can't wait. <laughs> But you need to go in with a vision as opposed to we're doing a podcast, we're just out there doing it. The just doing a podcast out there doing it days was probably 2010 to around the start of COVID, 2018, 2019. Now understand that it's a business. Podcasting is a business. 
podcast advertising is a business. It's crossing the, I don't know, $2 billion mark. Right. So if you want people to look at this and look at you as being the expert, the know, like, and trust factor piece of this, you got to take it seriously. Have fun with it, but right. you have to really look at it as this can be life-changing if I set it up right. Right. If I set it up so clients will want to or prospects will want to connect with me and they could become clients, and a client to me could be worth several thousand dollars. Right. So we need to start looking at it as not just a, this is an extension of broadcasting. Because I think that's the other challenge is a lot of people think of podcasting as it's kind of like radio, but not. Right. Right. Because that's what we have as the example. So when we listen to radio, for example, what tends to happen, especially in the talk radio formats, is you have a broadcaster, a DJ, so to speak, who brings in experts and they speak and they ask the expert questions. The flip side of this with podcasting, you're the expert. You want people to come into your right. business. You want to build your community. You want to build out your network of partners or joint venture people. You want to build that out as opposed to you just interviewing a bunch of experts. Right. Interesting. Yes. So there are so many different elements to this. I could talk about this for the next and six hours. And we do, and we will. And we will do this again, I'm sure. But, you know, really have a plan. Don't just throw caution to the wind. Really have a, what's my show going to be about? Why am I doing this? What's mm -hmm. the goal? And what are the results that I'd like to see? Right. Is there someone I could speak to about a strategy session like this? I think I know someone. <laughs> I think it's me. Right. This is the shameless promotion pitch part. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, we like working with coaches, consultants, other subject matter experts, real estate agents, investors, yeah. doctors, lawyers, those kinds of people. But we will have a conversation with anyone who is interested in finding out more information about this space. We do have programs and services that are entry level. And if you're ready to get going, we have those services available as well. But it starts with a conversation sure. and it's as easy as going to podcastsolutionsmadesimple.com. You go to the contact me page or just simply go to ask Carl at carlspeaks.ca. But definitely I would say check out the website because there's a lot of information there that would dispel some of the myths or misconceptions about podcasting that might help some of your listeners take the step to, right. you know, really doing something different. It's super fun. I love doing it. I love the conversations I'm ending up in and hearing people's stories. We'll wrap it up with what does future Carl look like? What are you still striving for? What are you dreaming of? And what do you look like in 10 or 20 years? Oh my goodness. 10 or 20 years. I'll still be alive. Yeah, I'll still be. I'll, yeah, I'll, you will. I'll still be kicking, ticking. It's funny that you mentioned this. I've recently gotten into or shifting into real estate investing. <laughs> so I know an I'll, agent. I'll, I'll, I figured <laughs> you might. Still obviously in the podcasting space, but I think that in 10, 15, 20 years, Really looking at spending some time in Costa Rica or maybe Belize, which I guess Belize is supposed to be the new Costa Sounds Rica. Sounds wonderful. But then also, you know, running an agency that is really servicing a very excited community of individuals, of experts who want to just keep knocking it out of the park. So right. that's where I see it. Probably on a boat somewhere where you're having a glass of champagne and we're, we're sharing stories, saying that, remember when... Right. You were sitting in the Remax office, Carl, and we were talking. That's Here we sort are of the vision. Carl's boat. Yeah. Yeah. Or Sherry's boat. Yeah. I will be somewhere where it is warm, particularly throughout the winter. My goal is to be a snowbird. I have no desire to live through Canadian winters. I think I would enjoy that, but by the same token, I do enjoy winter, the real winter, not the winters we've had in the last few years yeah. where it's icy and sleety and 
dark and I like the crisp, cold snow on the ground. Not for eight months out of the year though. Right. But for, you know, a couple of months where then I get excited for spring and then I get excited for summer. Yeah. But I wouldn't mind also snowbirding a little bit. <laughs> well, I'll see you there. <laughs> As I get older. That's right. Thank you so much for spending time with us today and sharing your story with everyone. I truly, truly appreciate it. And I'm sure we will do this again in the future. Thank well, you, Carl. Thanks for having me, Sherry. Sherry.